This is a special Christmas presentation. We're glad to welcome you to the Carter Report and the Community Adventist Church. We meet every Saturday morning at uh, 10 o'clock at 100 West Duarte Road, Arcadia, California. We'd like to invite you to join us whenever you have the opportunity. My topic today is the man from way out. And before I bring you this message, it is my privilege today to introduce to you my wife, Beverly. Would you please welcome her today? was the best gift that you ever received as a child? I think mine would have to be a gorgeous porcelain doll that stood three feet high. She was beautiful. How was your gift wrapped? My siblings and I always had ours placed in just a plain pillowcase. It didn't matter that the gift wasn't wrapped like this one. And today you have such beautiful wrapping paper and ribbons that it's, to me it always seems such a shame to undo them. But to us country kids growing up in Queensland, Australia, our gifts came in a pillowcase and that was fine and it sure saved a lot of money. Today many of our gifts do come wrapped like this. But do you know the best gift in the world came wrapped up in something like this. It doesn't look much. It certainly is not very spectacular. But yet the greatest gift in the world came in swaddling clothes. As it says in Luke 2.7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in a swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger. Now, what did this gift really mean? In Luke 2, angels give us the answer. This gift from God is to bring hope, joy, and peace to all the people. Let me tell you such a story which could be multiplied millions of times. Once a month, a pastor and his 11-year-old son used to go out around the neighborhood giving out gospel tracts. And this particular weekend, it was cold and very wet. And the pastor was feeling like he was coming down with a cold, so he said to young Jimmy, I'm not going out today. And young Jimmy, who was already all rugged up and ready to go, was disappointed. So he said to his dad, let me go, dad. I know how to do it. And so the father thought for a moment, but then he said, okay, and handed him the tracts, and off Jimmy went. And so he walked the streets for a couple of hours until he was down to one tract. By now he was feeling very cold. And, but he thought, I've got to give out this one last tract. And there's only one house left in the block. So off he went up to the door and pressed the bell. But nothing happened. And then he pressed it again and again. And still nothing happened. But something kept him there on the porch and he rang it one more time, and this time he also banged on the door very loudly. And in a moment or two, 
the door opened slowly and there stood a sad-looking lady and she said softly to him, what do you want, Sonny? And young Jimmy, his face alight with the love that he had for Jesus, just said to her, Jesus loves you, ma'am. And then he handed her the last tract and turned and went on his way home. Well, the following weekend, at the close of the sermon, the pastor said, is there anyone here who wants to give a testimony? Well, no one moved for a moment or two. And then far in the back, a lady stood up that no one seemed to know, and then she told her story. This is my first time in this church, she said. I haven't been to church for years. I gave up on God a long time ago. My husband was an alcoholic and he died about two years ago and since then I've been terribly lonely and I don't have a lot of money. And last weekend I felt that I had come to the end of my rope and I was going to take my life. And this was what I was about to do when I heard this loud banging on my door. Now, no one ever visited me, so out of curiosity, I went to the door and I opened it and there was an angel with such a wonderful smile on his face and he said to me, ma'am, Jesus loves you. And he handed me the tract and went on his way. Well, I could hardly believe it that Jesus still loved me, but as I read that paper, it all came back about the baby being born in Bethlehem, how he grew up to be a man and then died on Calvary for me. And now I have hope and joy in my heart and I have so much to live for. We can be assured that there was a great praise service after that. And you know, that's the true reason for this season of celebration, isn't it? If anyone in this church, or perhaps you're even watching on television, you're feeling like this lady, lonely and lost. I invite you to read again the words with me of the angel in, as found in Luke 2. I bring you good news of great joy to all the people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. When we believe and accept this good news, then we too will be able to sing with the angels, Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ our Lord and Saviour. It's Christmas time and I wish I could find some love in these streets But everyone I thought I knew somehow seems just out of reach It's Christmas time and I wish I could find some peace in my mind But everything is so unstable everyone is so unkind I look away and I see a candle alone in the night and it's chasing the darkness making it light someday there'll be peace because you care there'll be joy because you care 
During the days of the hippies, there was a song that made its way in religious circles entitled, The Man From Way Out. That's my topic today, The Man From Way Out. I'm not thinking about Clark Kent the mild-mannered reporter on what newspaper? Am I talking to an American audience? Yes. Hmm? The Daily Planet, who was only mild until he got near a phone booth. <laughs> then he was quickly transformed into Superman. You know the story. Uh, he was born on the planet of Krypton. And Krypton was being destroyed. And his mom and dad put him in a space capsule and sent him to planet Earth. And he came here, as all the movies said, to defend the American way. <laughs> he came to defend truth and liberty 
and justice and all of those wonderful virtues. In a sense, he was a man from way out, but he was fictitious. Today, I want to talk to you about the man from way out. Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 down to 7. When you get your Bibles, before you turn to the text, now I'm confusing you, would you hold up your Bibles? See, this is a church that doesn't have a lot of PowerPoint presentations or stuff up the front, but people have something more important. You know what it is? They have the Bible in their hands. So I want you to say these words with me. This is my Bible. This is God's Word. God has a message for me today. This message will give me everlasting life and make me a better person. I now open my heart to receive God's word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you can turn to the text. It's the, the text that is found in the gospel according to Dr. Luke. This is about the birth of a baby. So we're going to turn to the gospel that was written by a doctor. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and onwards. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. As we consider the humanity of the man from way out, I want you to notice the delivery room. The delivery room was as unhygienic as you could imagine in your worst nightmares. The manger, what is this manger? Possibly a feeding trough where the animals would be fed. However, this may not necessarily be so. I notice when I read the Whitcliffe Bible Dictionary, it says this. The manger was an open courtyard enclosed by a fence where the cattle were shut up for the night. No roof. Just a fence. 
And the Wycliffe Bible goes on to say that in the New Testament times, beasts were not fed out of troughs, but out of nose bags. I have searched through many commentaries and many different translations and they try to avoid the issue by simply translating the word manger, leaving it to you to work out. If it were a feeding trough, fine. If it were not, it was something even worse. It was simply a penned enclosure for animals. We would say today, if we were speaking as positively as we could, that this person, the man from way out, who was born in great poverty, was born in a barn. I want you to think about birth. Not just his birth, but about birth in general. When you think of these circumstances here, the first questions that came to my mind were like, This one. Where's the doctor? Where are the nurses? There's no doctor and there are no nurses. When the baby is born, which is always accompanied, as the ladies know, far better than the men, accompanied by severe pain and panting, and sometimes blood. But when the baby is born, the baby's mouth has to be cleansed, often the nostrils. I wonder who cleaned his mouth and got the mucus out. And then it was necessary for somebody, probably Joseph, to cut the umbilical cord. Can you think of doing this in a cattle shed? What about the risk of infection? It must have been enormous. But there was somebody watching over this baby because he was the man from way out. This is a very, very human event that we read about today as we think of Christmas time. Martin Luther is credited with writing the famous old hymn, Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. But Luther, if he wrote it, obviously was not a father with children. Because he went on to say, the cattle are lowing, The baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. You'd have to be kidding. (laughs) Martin Luther obviously thought that a person so high and heavenly and so holy could not yell. But every little baby cries. This little baby was not a make-believe baby. This baby was a real little boy. 
Then we pass from his birth to his childhood. As a baby, he was nursed by Mary. She was a peasant girl. He wasn't put on soya bean formula or some other substitute so that Mary would be inconvenienced and so she could quickly get back to work. Mary was not a career woman in the sense that she thought having a baby was only secondary to her real purpose in life and that was to make a splendid career. Mary was a mother. The greatest of all privileges and the greatest career in spite of what some have tried to teach us. This little boy was nursed at Mary's breast. He learned to walk. He took his first steps and she caught him and often he fell and cried and she kissed away the tears. This man from way out watched his father, his foster father in the carpenter's shop. Maybe Joseph gave him his own little saw and chisel and hammer and some nails and let him go to work. He learned to use the tools because he became a carpenter. He went to the synagogue every Sabbath day. This little boy was a Jewish boy. He learned to read and write. And like all little boys, he made friends. And like all little boys, he played and tumbled and got hurt and ran to mummy. He was truly, truly a baby boy not a make-believe. Would you come with me to the book of Hebrews that talks about the humanity of the man from way out. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and onward says, I'm glad to see you turning to the texts in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and onwards. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, the writer of Hebrews, whom we believe was the great 
St. Paul says that he became like us in every way with one exception. That was sin. I wonder what he looked like. There is a so-called record of Christ. Most scholars would think it is spurious that he is shown as a tall man with the bluest of eyes and the blondest of hair which is parted down the center. It was probably written by an Englishman or someone from Norway or Denmark or possibly somebody from Germany. We, we do not really know, but we have some clues. He was physically strong because he was a carpenter. He wasn't a pasty color because he'd sat for hours in front of a computer. No, he was a man's man. When he became a preacher, walking 20 or 30 miles a day was nothing to him. So he was well built. Because he was a carpenter, he had muscles. And because he was in the sun, he was bronzed. We are told in scripture that he is the son of David. And David represented him. He was the son of David. And we read in scripture, in the book of Samuel, that David was ruddy and handsome, in fact, beautiful all over. Ruddy. This Bible says, ruddy, fine-featured, and handsome. We're told in scripture too, that the Passover lamb that represented him had to be physically perfect. And he was perfect in every way because we are also told he is the second Adam. So he was perfect in body as he was perfect in character. He was a perfect human specimen, but... He still got weary. He got thirsty. He got moved emotionally so that we're told in one portion of scripture that Jesus wept. Not a mamby-pamby, a real man, but capable of shedding tears. And he got exhausted. Completely done in. So much so that after the night of abuse by the church leaders and by the Romans, he could not carry his cross. He fell beneath the cross. He fainted beneath the cross. He was a real man, like us in every way. but without sin. But he was the man from way out. He came from, I would point out to you today, he came from 
my beloved friends, way out. He came from another world. I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Isaiah, chapter 9 and verse 6. The book of Isaiah, chapter 9 and verse 6. My dear friends, and my dear friends who are watching also this telecast in the Middle East, in Iran and Iraq, and we want you to know, those of you who are watching in Iraq, we pray that peace will come to your nation. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, Isaiah said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are some of his names and titles. These verses describe his divinity. Would you please come now to the, the first chapter of the greatest book written in the history of the human race. That is the gospel according to John chapter 1. This is the greatest book in the history of the human race. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. These verses describe the fact that he is the divine son of God. In the beginning was the word, the Logos, word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Perhaps the most profound words in the most profound book. It says we should not skip by these words in haste. We should slowly chew them and digest them. In the beginning was the word, the Logos. The word was with God, is with God the Father. And the word was God. It does not say in the Greek, the word was the God. It says the word was God. And when the definite article the is lacking or left out by purpose in the Greek language, it is not because 
It is some aberration. It is a rule of the Greek language that when the ha, theos, when the ha, the, is left out, it is describing the nature of God. He was with God and he was God. He was not his father, but he had exactly the same essence and the same nature. And the Bible says that everything that can be seen in all creation was made by him. It says he made the world and in other parts of scripture it says he made the entire universe. You see, he is the man from way out. Would you turn to Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 17 to the words of the greatest of the systematic theologians. Colossians chapter 1, the great rabbi and scholar, St. Paul, the Jewish scholar. Colossians chapter 1, what a blessing the Jewish people have been to the world to give us these great writings. Colossians 1, 15 and onwards. And Paul, who once hated Jesus with a passion, writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I want you to think of these words. It says he created all things. It was the purpose of the divine father through the shedding of the blood of Christ to reconcile all things back to God, things on earth and things in the heavens. As some of you know, I have a keen interest in astronomy. Oh, how I wish that I knew so much more than I do. Here is the latest copy of the National Geographic, December 2003. I look at it and I am dazed and amazed. You know they repaired the Hubble telescope. You know the telescope was made here in California and uh, when they did the glass the first time they sort of did it wrong. But then they repaired it. 
and it's been worked on since then. And the telescope is bringing back pictures such as you cannot comprehend. This picture of a galaxy that is 50,000 light years across. Means it takes 50,000 years of the speed of light to cross it. Never before seen. It has the light of 400 billion suns. Pictures. It even shows today they can see the formation of stars as they are being born. Every little dot is a galaxy often much bigger than ours. Jesus made them. Now, I have something else which is a revelation to you. Listen to this. You come to these meetings, it's better than a university education. (laughs) This is another magazine I read lots. This is Discover magazine. This is about the invisible universe. Now, There you can see some of the galaxies. These pictures have never been published before. We thank Nasser because we can see these pictures. Listen to this. We look through the Hubble Space Telescope and we see billions and billions and billions and billions of galaxies. Billions, billions, billions. Billions of light years across. What we see with the eye is 0.4 of the universe. You know why? Because they've discovered that the universe is made up of dark matter that nobody can see. They can't pick it out, can't investigate it with radio telescopes or anything, they only know it's there because of its gravitational pull. The universe, you say, it is so big. Well, we're not seeing 1% of it because 99.6% of the universe is composed of matter that cannot be seen. Jesus made it. Jesus made it. Who is this Jesus? How big is this God? I tell you, the words came to my mind as I looked at these pictures. Listen to these words. Incomprehensible. Astounding. Amazing. Overwhelming. Astonishing. No wonder C.S. Lewis, the Oxford Don, said of the vast majority of Christians, he said, you are so superficial that your God is so small. I today present to you the Christ of eternity. 
So now we go back 2,000 years to Bethlehem. We watch in awe as a baby is born, as the umbilical cord is cut. And we say he's truly a baby boy, but he's more. He's fully man and he's fully God. And we cry out, oh, come let us adore him. Now I want you to notice, my beloved friends, the mission of the man from way out. We have noticed his humanity and his divinity. Now thirdly, I would have you notice the mission of the man from way out. Why the incarnation? What does this word mean, incarnation? Simply made up of a Greek word or Greek words it means in the flesh. The coming of God in the flesh. This is something that is unique to the Christian faith. The Hindus don't have this. The Muslims don't have this. The Buddhists don't have this. They say God is so remote he could never become one with us. But our God, my friend, is so personal that he becomes a man. He comes down to save us. What is the purpose? Please notice Hebrews 2 again. We noticed it a moment ago. I would like you to notice it again. Hebrews chapter 2. This gives us the purpose of his coming. Verses 14 and onwards. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shed in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he is tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted we notice here five major points he came to destroy the devil ah you say you still believe in the devil yes Jesus met the devil confronted the devil the devil, this great evil personality who stood next to Christ but below him and who tried to take over the universe to destroy the devil. Number two, to free the slaves. Number three, to become a merciful and faithful high priest. Number four, to make atonement for the sins of the people. And number five, to help the tempted. And he did all this when he died for our sins on the cross. Today, I would like you to picture the cross with a sanctified and vivid imagination. The cross was made up, obviously, of two pieces of wood. The cross was made up of rough pieces of wood with lots of splinters. 
Jesus, the creator God, who made the cosmos, the universe, billions of worlds, billions of galaxies, who created time, was nailed with heavy iron Roman nails. I have examined Roman nails on many occasions. Long nails driven through his hands at his feet and probably also tied to the cross so that the flesh would not tear. He was a young man probably in his mid-30s. He was born most likely 4 BC, 5 BC, 6 BC, so he was in his mid-30s at the peak of his manhood. On his brow are great drops of sweat and blood His body is utterly ravaged, lacerated as a result of one of the most evil floggings that a man could endure. As you stand at the cross, above the shout of the crowd, you can hear him whisper, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When I was a boy at college, I heard from a preacher the following story. I will try to tell it to you if I can. Many years ago, there was a kind-hearted man in the city of New York. And he went down to the great park, and as he visited the park, he came upon a group of boys. And the boys had a cage. The cage was full of of birds. The man said out of idle curiosity, what do you have there, boys? I have some birds. What do you plan to do with them? Oh, we plan to play with them. You're going to play with them? Yes, we're going to play with them. And when you finish playing with them, what are you going to do? We're going to kill them. And so the man said, won't you sell them to me? And they said, You don't want them, they're only sparrows. Not worth anything to you. Ah, said the man, I would like to have them. Will you sell them to me? So they bargained a little. The man took out some dollars, 20 or 30 dollars, and gave the money to the boys and took the cage of sparrows. And then he walked down one of the lanes in Central Park to an open part of the park and opened up the side of the cage, hit it on the side, and the little birds winged their way up into God's blue sky. And as they went, he heard them sing in his imagination, redeemed and redeemed. So the preacher went on to say, eons ago, The creator was traveling through the universe, Jesus. And he came upon Lucifer, Beelzebub, Satan. In his hand there was a cage. 
In the cage, it was a world. And Jesus said, what have you got there, Lucifer? He said, I have a cage full of sinners. Jesus said, won't you sell them to me? He said, you don't want them? They're only sparrows. Only sinners. You may want them, but they don't want you. They care so little for you that they don't even go to church. They don't care about you. Jesus said, will you sell them to me? Lucifer said, what will you give me? Jesus said in the parable, I will give you the silver of the stars and the gold of the galaxies. And Satan cursed until the foam came out of his mouth and he said, not enough, I want more. Jesus said, what do you want? Name your price. He said, Jesus, I want the silver of your tears and the gold of your blood. The years went by. Jesus sent to this earth preachers and prophets and the people despised them and hated them. And in the end, he came himself. When he came, He brought heaven down to this earth. He healed the sick. He released the slaves. He lifted up the scum of society, the greatest liberator that the world has ever seen. And the churches fought him and the religious leaders hated him. And one night in the parable, Jesus was praying alone in a garden called Gethsemane. And he was sweating drops of blood because he was interceding for the people. And he was in an agony of soul. And as he was praying, oh my father, he felt upon his shoulder the bony hands of a strong man and as the fingers bit into his shoulder he looked up from praying into the face of one whom he knew so very well who had stood with him next to God the Father Almighty and he said Lucifer can't you let me alone just for tonight and Lucifer said I want it And I want it now. He said, can't you let me pray a little bit? I've still, I still want to help these disciples. You can see they're sleeping. Lucifer said, I've come, you made a bargain. And I've come for the silver of your tears, the gold of your blood. And in the story, which is true, 
the next day, beneath the Roman lash and on the cross, he paid the silver of his tears and the gold of his blood. That is why he came. That is why when we think of him today, born in a manger, crucified on the cross, raised the third day, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. That is why we say, in the words of the grand old Christmas hymn, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Our dear Father, today, in an age that has become famous for its superficiality, for its obsession with the unimportant and its neglect and ignorance of the great essentials, we come to you today. We thank you that you've given us minds that can respond to you today. Dear Lord, open our hearts today that we might see you and understand you. We thank you today that this little baby that was born 2,000 years ago with pain and suffering and crying that was nursed at the breast of a peasant girl whose name was Mary. We thank you that this little boy who became a man was a real human being. But we thank you that he was also the man from way out and that he is the God who made the cosmos. Oh God, teach us to know today how great thou art. We thank you today too for the greatest of all wonders. The one who hung on the cross and who bore our sins to free the slaves was the creator. That hanging on the cross was the one who said, let there be light. The one who said, let there be a universe. The one who said, let us make man in our own image. And so our Father, today, we thank you for your great goodness, your greatness, your love, and we thank you for Jesus, the Messiah. And on our knees today, we worship you. 
and we adore you. We bless you. We praise you. And we thank you. Our prayer today is open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Open our eyes today, our Father, and help us to see the King in all his glory. Bless this audience. Bless those who are watching today to know how much you must love us and how much you must care for us. Bless us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.